Uh, it's great to be here this morning. Uh, they allowed me back on stage again to stand in for, for Neil when he's down in Cavan. Uh, Bridget's a way out, but as you've seen, Bridget was bullying me uh, on the WhatsApp this week. Um, I've t- taken your point, Bridget, and I'm going to do extra long this morning just um, as penance for bullying me. Uh, I'm only joking, but I'm not going to, don't worry. So uh, the good news is I'm, I'm going to try and keep in good time. The bad news is I don't feel great, so my concentration may lapse. Uh, so somebody keep me on track and remind me where I was if I go off on a little tangent, will you? Uh, what I want to do today is... Uh, your phone? Your, one of your children probably has it, Neff. As bad as my wife. Any more questions before I start? It's as bad as school. Okay, so uh, this morning what I want to share is something that, like the last time I was here, it was something that God had spoken to me in in a quiet place, and it was about communion. This time, this is something that God has just been putting in my heart. Obviously, um, it's, a, it's about prayer and worship, but he's put it in my heart for years. But in the last few weeks, has really actually been speaking to me about a specific part. Um, and it's, I've been drawn in to look at the, temp, the tabernacle of David. And so this morning, what I want to do, um, and I want to say off the bat, I, I, this is not my material. Um, I have been listening and reading so that I can do it justice to try and express what's on my heart. Um, so first and foremost, this is, this is stuff that I have read and I've divulged. It's, it's went into my heart and I've tried to put it on paper using their stuff as best I can because I don't want to mess it up. I really feel that what I'm going to share this morning is from the Father and is key to our next season as individuals and as a family on mission together for Jesus. Um, is that clear? <laughs> That's what you say when you're like when you mean something. Is that clear? Do you get that? Um, and so we're continuing on moved into the neighborhood. He's moved into the neighborhood. To start it off, I want to share about a dream I had. And it was last Friday evening. Last Friday night, um, obviously I was sleeping. That's where you start off. That's how you have dreams. I was sleeping. And uh, I woke up the next morning and I knew that it wasn't just one of those rare dreams, you know, where you're eating pizza or something like that. Sometimes I have weird dreams, especially after I eat pizza. And uh, I had this dream and and I'll explain, I'll I'll tell you about it and then I'll explain it. Um, And I'll start my stopwatch now, Bridget, just for for her. so I was in a new home. I was being shown around this dream home, and it was Nicola and I. And uh, I just remember walking into every room and looking at Nicola, and Nicola looking at me and going, oh, my goodness, this is everything that we would ever want. Not that Model Lady Road isn't great. Um, this is everything we would ever want. I remember over and over saying, this house is just, it's perfect. Everything we need and want is in this house. And then I remember going downstairs and the man that was showing us around the house, he said, and by the way, there's a five-star Michelin restaurant in this house that whenever you want to eat, you can eat of the best food ever anytime you want. And I looked around to Nicola and I said, Nicola, how could we ever afford this? And I remember the man turning around to me, I don't know who it was, and he said, if you want this, it's all yours. 
I thought, great. And I looked at Nicola. I said, did you hear that? But how? And the last thing the man said to me before I forget what it was, the key is this, David. It's time to go deeper. And so I woke up and I have a book this thick beside me that interprets dreams and gives you clues. And it's not always on target, but this is what it means. A new house is a new nature, an interior spiritual renewal. Interior. It's not about the outside. It's not about actually getting a new house. It's not about possessions. I believe God was saying this is a season for spiritual renewal. And these rooms that were absolutely perfect, they represent what I want you to have spiritually to give away. The restaurant, when you look it up, it says this, it is a place of communion and fellowship with God. And I feel like God was saying, do you know what? It's not just a a chip shop or a Chinese. I am giving you the best of the best of the best within your home whenever you want and whenever you desire. You can commune with me and eat the best meal that there has ever been eaten when you want. And the key is it's time to go deeper. I believe God's saying this is a season for us as individuals that he wants to renew the inside He wants to renew our spiritual lives and he wants us following on even from what I talked about communion. He wants us to learn to stop and to eat and we have access to it all. It was a promise I feel in that dream that night and that's this season. Um, I believe it's a season where we're going to start championing people. We're going to start lifting people up because there's some of us in this morning that you're full of zeal in here this morning absolutely brilliant. We need you but there's some of you that you're probably at your lowest ebb that you've ever been at And this is a season where there's going to be highs and lows, but we're going to be here together on this trip, on this journey to lift up, to encourage, to be there, whatever it may be. And so to start into my sermon, in case Bridget comes at me afterwards, how does he move into the neighborhood? How does this go with what we're speaking about? It's not there. How does he move into the neighborhood? And quite simply, it's this. I believe, obviously he's here all the time, but I believe specifically he moves into the neighborhood when you carry him into the neighborhood. When you carry him with you, that's when he moves in. That's when he starts to work because you are the holy of holies. And so I believe what I'm going to share this morning is key about God moving into the neighborhood. And so in particular, I want to look briefly, and I'm not going to read all the verses. I'm not going to go into all the detail because I am not that smart to keep all that going. But I want to quite simply just tell a story of King David and his government and his tabernacle this morning. So in particular, we're going to look at how he built this tabernacle. Second Samuel 6, if you want to write that down for later, read it through. It's, it's a beautiful, read the whole of Second Samuel and but 2 Samuel 6, 1 Chronicles 16, and 1 Chronicles 25. And just to give you the background, this is the children of Israel. We're reading about the story of the nation of children of Israel. They were in captivity in Egypt. They were brought out of Egypt into the wilderness where they had the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies, in a tent right in the middle of their people. So the presence of God was at the center of everything that they were doing. They then wanted men to tell them what to do. They had had enough of God and they wanted judges. So judges came in and then kings came in and started to rule them. And up to this place, the nation of Israel, the last king they had was a man named Saul, who when you read through his story was not a very nice man. So let's look at what marked David's reign as different from all the others. Firstly, he walked into a generation that needed revived. Saul had neglected God And the nation had turned away from God. The nation was rejecting the leadership of God. 
and they had wanted a man to lead them. So he was walking into a generation that had a demonic dictator. This dictator was not led by God, but led by other forces. He was an evil man. When you read the story of Saul, if you know the story of Saul, and he had been in charge for a long time without consulting God. I don't know about you, but I look at people in power and wonder how do they do it without God? And so Saul had been the leader of the children of Israel, of the nation of Israel, and he hadn't consulted God in his whole reign. He had blocked him out. And so this was a generation where the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God, was completely neglected and was put into the wilderness. People were afraid of it and people thought they didn't need it. Does that sound familiar? Many people in this culture, because of religion, are afraid. Oh, I don't want to go near God. I don't want to near the people that represent him. And many people think they do not need the presence of God. It was the same in King David's time. And so the entire reign of Saul, he never pursued the Ark of the Covenant. He never pursued the presence of God. That means that a whole generation, a whole generation, no one knew what it was like to intimately know God. Can you imagine? They had no center point to realign their hearts. It was a nation filled with corruption. It was a nation filled with greed. It was a nation filled with perversion. But would you hear this? In the middle of it all, in a secret, quiet place, this is what gets to me, in a secret, quiet place, in the mountains or the hillsides or whatever it will be with the sheep, there was one man listening to God. There was one man that was understanding the heart of God. There was one man that was making history with God that no one else seen what was going on, but he knew what was going on. There was one man understanding his identity. There was one man getting revelation from the spirit of God. He was learning what he needed for a future to lead his people, even though he didn't know it yet. He was learning how to battle, you know, against the lions and the bears and and then Big Goliath, he was learning what it was to have integrity. He was even learning musical instruments. Does anybody remember what got him into Saul's palace? It was being able to play the harp where he carried the very presence of God with him. God was raising up a man who was able to say, it does not have to be this way. I stop for a minute and look at society. We are the people that can say it does not have to be this way. Something caused him to seek God in the darkness and pursue a hope that was buried deep within him. So in the wilderness, far removed from his, the hungry politicians and the greedy priests that were corrupt, this man, David, fell in love with God. Think about that for a minute. God had to pull him back from the hustle and bustle to get him ready for the hustle and bustle. For a season in his life, God completely took him away for him to understand who he was for this short season of his life where God would put him on a pedestal and people would look to him because he carried the very presence of God. Maybe you're in that season right now where you think, I'm just tending sheep. Maybe you're in the season where you're looking after kids and wiping bums every day. It's a reverend, I know, but, but God's saying, I see it all, and you're in a time where I'm preparing you for what lies ahead. That's where you're supposed to put me back on track. 
David when he took power, sorry, I'm in, in the wilderness, away from the hustle and bustle. And what God was giving David in this secret place, I believe, was preparing him for the public space. It was preparing him for that place where God was going to use him more and more. And so when David took power, people had heard the stories of David. People had heard of the great things he had done. And they were excited to have this man leading their nation. Imagine Saul had kind of wrecked the whole thing. I don't, I'll not say any leaders right now that are like that. Um, but there's quite a few in the public eye that might not be doing too great a job. Remember, you're supposed to pray for them. But this great, charismatic leader who people knew chased after God was coming in to lead their nation. And so the people wanted this. They wanted him, David, build us a massive army that we can be a strong nation again and conquer all those around us. Okay, might have been a good idea. David, we want to see economics invest in our people, invest in the businesses Okay, sounds like a good idea. And you know what it's like when a newly appointed leader steps onto the scene, the press conferences, the people are waiting, they're hungry to hear every single word that comes out of their mouth, the photographs, the whatever, the paparazzi are going mad. Imagine the anticipation people felt when David stepped onto the podium, ready to reveal his master plan. And this is what he said. Please give me some poetic license. Are you ready? I think he was from Balamina. We'll do it in a Balamina accent. No, okay. Here's what we're going to do, lads. Are you listening? And ladies. We're going to take the Ark of the Covenant. It's been sitting in the wilderness for over 40 years. I know some people have died by touching it, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to move it, and we're going to put it in this wee tent, okay? We're not going to put it with sides or veils, because we want everyone to have access. We're going to put it up at the top of the hill beside Stormont, And the reason we're going to put it beside Stormont is because that's where all the stuff goes on. Please, I said poetic license, okay? This is where the country is led from. This is where all the decisions are made. This is the center of government, and I'm going to put God's presence right beside it for everyone to see. Okay, this sounds a bit crazy. And here's what we're going to do, right? We're going to hire 4,288 people to sing and worship around it 24 hours a day. What on earth has he been smoking when he's out in the wilderness? And here's the last thing. It's going to cost about 800 million pounds. That was his master plan. David was saying a massive no to the people that he should have been saying yes to, that he should have been listening to. That's good, but I've got better. Your economics are good. Your army's good, but we are going to build a nation that is built around the presence of God. And he said this, one thing that I long for, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Not only will we change the future, but we are going to redeem your past because you do not know what you have missed. We're going to move the ark back to the center of our lives and we're going to worship 24-7. So after 40 years, David goes and looks for the ark. And if you read it in, um, my eyesight's going here, in 2 Samuel 6, the first time they tried to move the ark, they put it on a cart that was pulled along by horses or donkeys. And one of the wheels must have broken. The ark was coming off and a man called Uzzah, some name, Uzzah went out to lift the ark up. And God struck him dead. That's a whole other sermon. Please don't ask me about that this morning. 
And so, do you know what happens? What happens when you're going out in all zeal for the Lord and you've been, you feel God's put this in my heart. I know I'm meant to do it and it completely flops. King David done the same. He put it out of the way. I don't know if that was God or not. Put it into the wilderness again for three months and I actually put it into a man's house and his name was Edom. No, Obed Edom. There you go. Put it in the Obed Edom's house. And then what was the stories that came out of his house? The Lord is richly blessing us and our whole household. So David thought, you know what? We need to do this again, but we need to do it right. Because the commands were this, you were to lift the Ark of the Covenant on your shoulders. Do you know why? His people were to lift his presence high. High. But instead they were pulling the long low on the cart. And so the next time um, they came with humility. In 1 Chronicles 15, 12, it says this, purify yourselves and carry the ark as instructed. They came with a humble heart. Sometimes your excitement and zeal is good, but God doesn't want just excitement and zeal. He wants you to actually think about what he's calling you to do and count the cost. Can you imagine how the worshippers felt? So you're asking us to lift this thing above our shoulders that keeps killing people and then to stand around it and sing and worship. Do you know what? Sometimes whenever we are called by the Lord, it's a dangerous task. But David wrote this, I believe, in the midst of all this. Psalm 24, verse 3. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Those who have clean hands and pure heart. The Passion says this. Who then ascends into the presence of the Lord? And who has the privilege of entering into God's holy place? Those who have clean, those who are clean, whose works and ways are pure, whose hearts are true and sealed by the truth, those who never deceive, whose words are sure. He was asking a nation, will you open up your hearts and let the king of glory in once more? They were so sober by the second time that every six steps they built an altar. So as they were carrying the ark of the Lord back into the city, every six steps, let me, let me try and grasp this. Every six steps they thought, oh my goodness, we are so overcome by the presence of the Lord that we want people to remember this moment. We're going to build an altar and we're going to sack. Imagine how long it took them to go a few miles. But the presence of God was so mighty that every six steps they stopped. Do you know why I believe? This is just my version of it. They wanted people in the future to look at those every six steps and remember God is with us. His presence is back again. Do not forget the enormity of this moment. Can you imagine too, the animals were sacrificed and the streets would have been running with blood of the animals. Does that point forward to something about sacrifice and the blood that was atoning? David was overcome with the presence too that he'd done this. Do you know the one where he danced naked? He actually had a bit of a robe on and some underwear, thankfully. He didn't care. He didn't care what people thought because he had his God back among his people. He threw off his robes. He started dancing in the street and Saul's daughter saw him. Have we ever had anybody like this? And looking down from her window, my goodness, what on earth are you doing? How dare you be so irreverent? David didn't care because he had encountered, encountered 
his God. And so at this stage, there's only one, one man could enter, or the, the high priest could enter in the Holy of Holies once a year to bring sacrifice for his people, to bring sacrifice for their sins. But David brought the ark up to a new location and he tore the veil. Does that sound familiar? He took the veil away and he said, everyone in this nation, you will have access to your God. You can all approach the presence of God. You all have access to your God. First Chronicles 15 and First Chronicles 25. Then David hired full-time worshipers. He made worship, uh, he made worship the center. He made the presence of God the center. In First Chronicles 25, verse 68, we read this. All these men were under the direction of their fathers as they made music at the house of the Lord. Their responsibilities included the playing of the cymbals, harps, and lyres in the house of God. Asaph, Jethun, and Herman and Heman reported directly to the king. They and their families, listen to this, they and their families were all trained in making music before the Lord, and each of them, 288 in all, um, were accomplished musicians. The musicians were appointed to their term of service by means of sacred lot without regard to whether they were young or old, teacher or student. What David was saying is this new season, and we'll probably go into it a bit more next week, we've had some prophetic words about our children. This season is not about young and old, rich and poor. Every single person will have, have access to the Father and every single person, young and old, will have a role to play in what we are going to do. They are all going to be involved. They are all, do you know what? There's no mini God or mini Holy Spirit. Our children hear him as much as we do and I think actually more. It's time we started letting them influence us more instead of us how well. You get what I'm saying? That's another sermon. His tabernacle operated for exactly 33 years. Does that also sound familiar? But what was the point of this? What was the point of millions of pounds? What was the point of 4,288 worshippers, 4,000 stewards, all the time put in? The point was this. Are you ready for it? David had a revelation of the Father. In the wilderness, David had encountered God. And he was led in on the kingdom of God. He, I believe that he's seen a glimpse of heaven and thought that's how we have to operate on earth. First Chronicles 25 tell us about how he set up his tabernacle. Revelation 4 then tells us about what it's like in heaven. And I'm not going to read into it all now, but they're parallel. There were 24 elders leading worships with the, worship with their sons. And their job was to worship. Their job was to lay down their crowns. Revelation 4, we read this. Now, this is the highest authority this is in heaven itself, in the throne room. This is what was going on. The 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay down their crowns before the throne and say, you're worthy, O Lord God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. In heaven itself, in the throne room, the kings and the elders, they lay down their crowns and they say, you are worthy. They praise and they worship. David had revelation from heaven. And I believe that David was an architect. He was an architect that seen what God was doing and made it a reality on earth. Do you know the, the, the prayer that we pray? Your kingdom come. 
I believe that each of us, that we are architects, that God gives us insight to his heart for this nation, that God gives us creative ideas that come from heaven to impact those around you, to impact your life so that you can point them to the presence and power of Jesus. Two things are happening in heaven in Revelation 5. There are incense before the throne and there, there is worship. Revelation 5, 8. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they held bowls filled with the incense, which are the prayers of God's people. This was the basis for how David ran his government. We're just going to pray and we're going to worship. And where do you see what comes out of it? So what did come out of it? Because we're trying to move on quickly. The results of of this were Israel goes from a local tribe to a global superpower in one generation. The results are this. When David handed on his crown to Solomon, he had never to fight a battle. War was eradicated. Poverty was eradicated. And Solomon was handed extravagant riches beyond his wildest dreams. Why? Because God was put at the center of the nation. What David had gained on that hillside, he learned to give it away when he was on the throne. He gave back the people their right to be priests and have access to their God. He operated as earth as it is in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. And in one generation, they went from needing revival to a great awakening. One generation. One generation. Exodus 19.6 tells us this is the original plan for the children of Israel. You are and have been called to be a kingdom of priests. It was never God's plan for one man just to enter because he wants that Genesis walking hand in hand in the garden with you and looking at you and chatting with you. David lay down his crown He didn't put on any robes except for the priestly robe, the ephod, which he wasn't allowed to do. And again, another sermon. And he was saying this. He was saying, we are a royal priesthood. We are a people marked by the presence of God. And he was leading by example. This is who you are first and foremost as a nation. You are a kingdom of priests who intimately know God. You were created to carry the presence of God. This is who you are. This is who you are. This is how you bring him to your neighbor. David walked before the ark. He was dancing half naked like we heard. And he was throwing off the old. But I also think this, he was being vulnerable. Can you imagine a leader of a new nation? Well, I probably could imagine Boris Johnson or Donald Trump throwing off in, in the media. But can you imagine this man of God dancing naked up the street? But I believe this. Number one, he was leading by example. Number two, he was showing people his passion for God. But number three, as found in 2 Samuel 6, I believe he was being vulnerable before his people. To show them, I am just a normal, crazy man. And if I can have God, you can have God. He said this to Saul's daughter, I am willing to look even more foolish I am willing to be humiliated for the sake of my father. 
It's the destiny of every one of us that we should and we can have access to the Father. But we are not just to keep that in. Do you know what we're to do? We're to be a model to society and give it away. In prioritizing his presence, we move from a priestly ministry to a kingly ministry. And that doesn't mean that we lord over, but it means that we reign in the sense that all that we touch and all that we do prospers because of the presence of God living within us. When we walk into a room, we carry the very presence of God. And so something shifts and something moves. We are a kingly people who are called to reign in a way that not overpowers and overlords but partners with and champions champions and pushes on. And now I've got two minutes to wrap. Sorry, my mother's phoning me. If you hear this recording, mother, you're phoning me in the middle of church. In the middle of the kingdom of Israel encountering the presence of God and becoming this nation that had peace and had prosperity. What happened? The nations around them benefited from it. The nations around them experienced prosperity. The nations around them experienced peace. And that's what we are called to do as the bride. This is a prophetic picture of his church that we are called to reform and rebuild the ruins. We are called to bless those who are around us. We are here for the well-being of this village, of this city, of this nation. So this morning, I am not calling us to 24-7 prayer. If you want to head that up, that's great. It's not for everyone. But what I am simply saying this morning is a call back to intimacy with the Father and prioritizing that on a daily basis. Something happens to us as individuals when we prioritize his presence. And so I would love us to get to a point where us as a church, we can fill a a prayer room for 24-hour slots every day of the week. But that's like saying to me, David, I want you to run a marathon tomorrow. It's just not going to happen. Or I want you to go on a diet tomorrow. It's a Monday, but it's not going to happen. These things have to take time. And I believe this morning, what I'm asking you to do is to start so that we can get to that place in the future with your personal lives. I'll go into that wee bit in a minute. But something happens as individuals. David had favor, he had position, he had peace, he had authority, he had patience, he had influence, he had identity, he had boldness, he had revelation, he became a world changer. And so I believe that God is calling us this morning as we start to prioritize his present, things are gonna shift around us, things are gonna happen around us. I've got some more pages there, but I think I'm going to stop. Do you you get the gist of what I'm saying? I believe that when we start to prioritize his prayer again, God's going to start talking to us like he's never done before. Do you know, um, I've been singing a song all this week about enthroned upon the praises of a thousand generations. Do you know that it tells us in the Psalms, I've actually, I've got it here. Yes, I know that you are most holy. It's indisputable. You are God enthroned, surrounded with songs, living among the shouts of praise of your princely people. This is not just a season about us learning how to pray well. I believe this is a season of us learning how to worship well. Because it says that his praises 
or his, he is enthroned on the praises. That means he literally comes and takes a seat among you. He is enthroned. He is lifted up like the ark for his presence to see when you start to praise. And it's not just singing because some of us in here can't sing. And don't try to because it's okay. You don't need to try. I'm not looking at you, Neville. But I believe this is a season for me personally where I want to have music in the, in, in the house. I'm going to sing in the car. But I want to watch what comes out of my mouth because it needs to be worship. And I would love us as individuals and as families to start practicing. Instead of watching loads of Netflix, why don't you just put on some music for half an hour and just sing and, and praise and worship the Lord and let him be enthroned in your praises because you know what happens then when you move to prayer it's not just dear God I'm reading my list out to you which is endless because there's lots of stuff I need and lots of stuff I don't understand it's all that's good we can get to there but actually whenever you enthrone him he comes and sits he comes and and speaks to you and what starts to happen is then you start to pray out of an advantage of heaven Ephesians 3 is that we're seated in heavenly realms we actually start to pray in line and in tune with heaven so that all of a sudden you're like my goodness why are all my prayers being answered? Because we are enthroning him. As we start to pray, as we start to praise, heaven starts to whisper into our ears. And this is not just uh, an airy-fairy Disney movie. This is the reality of the living Savior. When you engage in worship, he starts to speak and the blueprints of heaven are downloaded. Have you ever had those moments where you're like, why did I not think of that before? And it's came in a time of worship or prayer where you're not expecting, but you're just there abandoned. I believe in those times in the wilderness with King David, he had many of those times of worship and he had down, downloads of blueprints of stuff and thought, when am I ever going to use that? And little did he know that not long after, someone would come and say, no, it's none of those sons. Do you have any more sons? Well, of one little scrawny boy who looks after my sheep, He's the one that God wants. I believe that this is a time of preparation for when God is going to say, it's now time for you to be raised up to a place where people are going to see and people are going to hear of my glory through you. And so I want to finish with these few questions. What is our revelation for now? So for you personally, for your family, for our church, as we start to enthrone him in our praises and start to pray and put him at this very center where he belongs, I believe I've written this down for, for us. It is a call to create a resting place for the Lord. And so I would love it uh, between the hub and the living room that we are creating a resting place for the Lord. But you personally, can I challenge you? I'm going to let you take your phones out in a minute. Can I challenge you this week? Will you start to create a resting place for the Lord where he is enthroned, where he can take a seat? Think about it. If you're going a million miles an hour, how can he take a seat beside you? It's time to stop. Number two, what is God calling us to do in this season? David caught the heart of God in the middle of a generation who had forgotten him. They had turned away and said, we don't need God. But one man's heart saved a nation and generations to come. 
What is God calling us to do in this season? I'm not giving the answers out because I don't know them. But think about it personally. It might be something very, very simple. Or maybe you're like David, you're getting downloads right now and you're thinking, I'm not even in the position or place to use this. Number three, what are the dark places that we need to bring the light to? David walked into a dark generation that did not know God. Did he say, oh, flip me, it's going to get worse before it gets better? You know, all, all this bad humbug and Armageddon stuff? No. He said, this doesn't align with what I know of the kingdom of God. This doesn't align with the heart of God that I have encountered in the wilderness. And you know what? Despite what everyone else says, I know this can be different. The worldly system had kicked out God, but David was the man to reverse this and chase after God's presence. Is anybody here willing to put their hand up and say it's time for me to sacrifice to chase after the presence of God? What is your personal worship and prayer like? Is it a priority to be the priest? The key was this, that David was on the hillside with the sheep. And in that moment, David tasted something that would completely transform his life. Can I ask you, Granny D, over these 45 years of life, how have you been sustained? Is it what I've been talking about this morning? Of worship? If you want a woman that has been steadfast and sure, there will be be so. And I believe it's her consistency. Pauline's not here. I was going to ask her too. There you are. I've been looking at you the whole time. Has it been your continual time in the word and time in worship? I walk into the office sometimes and she's just singing away. We overcomplicate it. And I believe this morning God's just saying, if it's 30 seconds in the morning, I just want to hear from you. I want to talk to you. Start to praise me, even if you can sing or not. What does your personal time look like? What would happen if we give our best to the Lord? If we give our first? Psalm 24 says the spirit of God was rising up in him to say there is only one king. The rebellion of my people is over. When we give him our best, something miraculous is going to happen in this village. And it's back to that Romans, why do I keep doing the things I know I shouldn't do and I don't want to do and I know they're not good for me. If we could just get this. So here's the, I always like to finish with a practical. King David took an aimless, unfulfilled people and brought life back to the nation. And it was this, he brought new rhythm to his community that was sustained. A new rhythm that was sustained. So I'm asking you this. Can you help me try and start a new rhythm? Because I need this more than I let on that I do. I'm starting tomorrow just like I'm asking you to start with me. I'm allowing you to take your phone out. Can you do this with me? If you go into your, uh, if you have a phone, if you don't, just write it down if you've got a good memory. If you go into your alarm, if you have an iPhone, 
you can press the alarm and you can set it for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And what I would love you to do is following King David, does anybody remember how he prayed? Morning, noon, and night. Daniel, how did he pray? Morning, noon, and night. And I'm not saying that you have to do this, but I'm going to ask you for a week if you can try this with me. So at 8 o'clock in the morning, when I'm sitting having my Cocoa Pops, can you set your alarm for personal prayer? And I'm not asking you to have a 10-minute epilogue. It might just be, God, I need you today. (laughs) But whatever it is, I want you to corporately take time as a body to pray for yourself, to pray for your family. You can bring your needs before the throne and simply just say, God, I acknowledge that for this day, I need you. I welcome you in. I welcome your presence. And if you put a bit of worship music on, even better. Next, at 12 noon, set your alarm. And for some people, you might have to, sometimes I'm in a meeting and my 12 noon one goes off. And all I say is this, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. But I declare it. It's as simple as that. At 12 noon, I want you to pray for your church and your village. I want you, and if it's just one person a day, and we're going to try and help you with this a little bit, I want you to just, I bless Grace Community Church. God, reveal your plans and your heart to them. God, will you bless the hub? Will you give us um, the energy to get it done? Will you give us the resources to get it done? But God, will you help us bless this village? Your spirit will flow out of it. So much more you could pray. That's at 12 noon. And then, depending on your age, you might not be up, but 9 p.m., I'm nearly asleep at that time. 9 p.m., I want you to, to speak words of life over this nation. Of Ireland and of the UK. Just speak words of life and do. Pray for it. Pray for Boris. Pray for whoever gets elected. But I want this to be really intentional. Can you do that with me? Can we try it? And in the new year, I would love us to have more time of being really intentional with this. I believe that God's calling us into a season where he's asking us to sacrifice for prayer, to be committed, to have consistency, to be expectant, to be hungry. And I also believe this, he's, he's asking us to actually prepare, prepare for what's coming. The second time that they lifted the ark, they had to stop and take stock of what happened and prepare for the presence of God. Are you ready? Have you been intentionally seeking the Lord and asking for his input in your life? Have you been seeking the presence of God? I believe that this is a time for refocusing your priorities. And I'm, this is the, I'm going to end here. This is me finished. Probably the shortest sermon I've preached in a while, but this is where I want to finish. It's time to refocus your priorities because just like Israel, maybe there's been 40 years where the presence of God has been in the wilderness somewhere and he's saying, can you move it back right into the center? And do you know what that means? For me anyway, that means probably getting up a wee bit earlier. That means being more intentional. That means not watching as much Netflix because I want to prioritize time with the Father. It means giving a a, a good no to some things. It means looking at my schedule and seeing, are there things there that are taken away from me encountering the presence of God that I can give away? 
Amen. Do we get that all right? You want to stand to your feet? I want to just pray over you. Um, for those who want to read a little bit more, there's a really good book called Enthroned by a guy called David Fritch. Uh, I'd recommend you to read it. It's very, very good. You'll hear most and more of what I've said this morning. But Father, I just thank you um, for, for this people. And God, I ask, will you give us a supernatural hunger for, for worship and prayer, but for your word? And Father, I pray you would raise our expectations of hearing from you because we are a kingdom of priests. We are a people who have access to you and to your voice and to your heart. And so God, I pray even now, I declare even now in this moment that there are blueprints from heaven that are being downloaded in this room right now. I thank you, God, that the resources are already there for what you want us to accomplish in partnership with you in this community. And so, Father, I just speak blessing out over this community as well. Through these vents, God, I declare that you will bless this village. I declare that your presence will be felt in this village. I declare, Father, that people are going to come to know you as we set foot on the streets. And so, Father, I just pray in this week that you would help us to be consistent with you and to prioritize your presence and move you right back into the center of our lives where you have always belonged. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen.